Welcome to Good Life. I'm Dean Wilson. We have a really special guest today. Father Greg Boyle is with me. Father Boyle, in 1988, founded something that now has become Homeboy Industries in Los Angeles. And it's the largest gang intervention program uh, in the world. It's an amazing work that they do. And he's really an incredible guy. I think you'll really enjoy it. So stay tuned. Greg Boyle, The Good Life, is next. Welcome to Good Life. I'm Dean Wilson, and so glad you've joined us today. I have a really special guest today. Uh, Father Greg Boyle is with me. Uh, Father Boyle is the founder of Homeboy Industries in Los Angeles, uh, which is now the largest gang intervention, rehabilitation, and reentry program in the world. Uh, Father Boyle was ordained as a priest in 1984, and he founded Homeboy Industries in 1988. Uh, Father Boyle witnessed the devastation, devastating impact of gang violence on the community uh, in Los Angeles uh, during the what was called the Decade of Death uh, that began in the late 1980s and peaked at, at 1,000 gang-related killings in 1992. And so he decided to do something. And in 1988, they started what would eventually become Homeboy Industries. Homeboy Industries, for those of you that are not familiar, uh, employs and trains former gang members in a range of social enterprises, as well as providing critical services to thousands of men and women every year. Uh, Father Boyle is the author of the 2010 New York Times bestseller, Tattoos on the Heart, The Power of Boundless Compassion. And in 2014, President Obama named Father Boyle a champion of change. So Father Boyle, welcome and thanks for joining us today. Great to be with you, Dean. I actually wanted to start on um, the current climate. And, you know, of course, this year has been kind of a humdinger for everybody, uh, you know, coming off of, um, you know, in the middle of the pandemic, we have the horrific George Floyd killing and, and the uh, protests and uprisings that have followed. In this climate, um, what, and I know Homeboy is doing a lot in terms of meals uh, that you just told me about in terms of um, addressing the need, but how would you encourage people to be peacemakers in this current time? Yeah, I think part of the thing that I've learned from gang members is uh, gang violence is about something else. So the trick in everything is to find the something else. And so even doing work with gang members over time, you know, people would say, well, we need to work for peace. And, and I was always kind of old fashioned. I always thought peace required conflict. And in gang violence anyway, there's no conflict. It's not about it. There's violence, but it's, there's no conflict. It's not about anything. You can't sit down at the table. So you have to find the something else. And gang violence was only about despair, trauma, and mental illness. So, so then you try to infuse hope, try to heal trauma, and you try to deliver mental health services. 
in the same way, it's not about trying to quiet things down or make things calm or that there are opposing sides. They aren't. The great John Lewis says, we all live in the same house. He doesn't say one day we'll live in the same house. He says, no, we all live in the same house. He's not talking about climate change and that we all occupy the same planet. He's talking about the reality of kinship and connection and that we belong to each other. That's our truth. So we need to inhabit it. But, but we kind of cut to the chase so often. You know, we, we want to address things right on, on the head, you know, and, and nail being hit by hammer exactly on the head. And I don't know anything that works that way. And we feel good about it when we, when we want to address things head on. But it's kind of not how, if we have reverence for how complex human beings are, uh, we know that everything's about something else. So you start to question things and see things differently. You want to see things as God does. You want to take seriously what Jesus took seriously, for example. And then, and then things start to kind of, the byproduct of all that is peace. Could you take us back a little bit on how kind of this started in your road? I actually watching the great John Lewis's memorial this morning, President Clinton told the story about, you know, when, on Bloody Sunday, one of the books in John Lewis's backpack was Thomas Merton, a book about Thomas Merton, this, this monk that, uh, that, you know, you wouldn't necessarily connect John Lewis with Thomas Merton necessarily. Uh, I was kind of interested in that. And I was thinking about you and, and here's a, you know, a priest ordained in 1984 who is now spent a lot of his life involved with uh, gang members. How did it start? Well, you know, I never, people always have presumed that you kind of start out to do something. And, and that's never happened in my life, you know. I've never really started out to do anything. But there I was, pastor of the poorest parish in the city smack dab in the middle of really large public housing projects, eight gangs all at war with each other, the highest concentration of gang activity in the city, there I was. And so I didn't set out to do anything, but you're responding to things, you know, and, and you're trying to be faithful. And, and so you try to somehow respond to what's happening today. That's kind of how it works. You know, at some point you maybe make plans and what if we did this and what if we did that but it's mainly the duty to delight in the more in the in the present uh, moment and then and and what are we going to do about the fact that in those days i was burying so many kids so i buried my first young person killed because of the sadness in 1988 but i buried my 235th last week and so, not all from that community, but because I run a large gang intervention program, I know gang members. So I get asked to do this. And so um, you just respond to whatever is right in front of you. And in that time, uh, I was reading a little bit about the last 30 years and 7,800 community clients, 
you guys do tattoo removal. There's been about 12,000 tattoo removal class sessions, trainees, uh, and a lot of community members supported therapy sessions. Uh, and so those numbers are wonderful to see the culmination of it. But I, one of the things I always think about is, is when Jesus talks about, you know, whatever you did for one of the least of these, I used to always read that wrong and think in terms of whatever you did for the least in terms of it's some kind of category of, you know, where you're trying to work on some category, but really it's like you just said, it's really about the person in front of you, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, Mother Teresa said the problem in the world is that we've just forgotten that we belong to each other. So how do we stand against forgetting that we belong? And, and Jesus, uh, you know, really articulated only two aspirations. One was that you may be one. And the other one is my joy, yours, your joy complete. There were a lot of things he said. But in the end, that's sort of what the aspirations were for us going forward. And they're pretty good. And they're very generous and spacious and expansive. And, and they're not about worship me. They're not about him at all. They're about us, that you may be one and your joy is important to me. And so, you know, so Jesus took four things seriously, inclusion, nonviolence, unconditional loving kindness, and compassionate acceptance. And, and I suspect in the end, all four of those things is why John Lewis had the Thomas Merton book in his backpack, because it was about being anchored and putting first things recognizably first and living as though the truth were true. And um, so that we can all celebrate that we're, we all live in the same house. So it's about unity and connection and mutually exquisite. Uh, kinship and and it's about joy and it really is about joy how do we help each other get to joy yeah the, could you repeat those four again father Boyle, if you don't mind That's inclusion real. inclusion nonviolence unconditional loving kindness and compassionate acceptance and so it's a it's a way of also um, my friend Mirabai Starr, who's a, a mystic, and she writes about mystics. Uh, she says, once you know the God of love, you fire all the other gods. <laughs> and, and part of that is, if we're excluding, if you're following a God who is inviting you to exclude, fire that God. <laughs> or, um, you know, the, the God that permits you to separate children from their parents at the border fire that god or or who thinks it's okay to pack a church during a pandemic give that god marching papers so so i think the, the point is to kind of to refine and find the marrow of the gospel so we don't uh stray from the four things that jesus took seriously there are only four things, but they're big things. 
even violence, you know, it's about language even. And, uh, and how do we, you know, embrace the tenderness, which is the highest form of spiritual maturity. So um, these are hard things, but they're clear things. That's the part that's uh, liberating. Yeah, that, that's, that's, that's a wonderful quote. Um, I read something from Tim Keller uh, the other day saying something similar, I think. He said something like, you know, tell me about the God you reject. Tell me about the God that, you know, such and such, because maybe I don't believe in that God either. <laughs> so, I, think that's I, mean, I mean, put positively, there is nothing more consequential than, than the God you have. And, and that's why it, it's, it matters. You know, Marcus Borg used to always say, it matters what your image of God is. And, and I would say more than matters. It's absolutely consequential. It'll drive, it'll be the engine of whatever your vehicle does, you know. I want to talk about compassion for a minute. I, you know, your book, Tattoos on the Heart, The Power of Boundless compassion I, you know one of my pastors last week uh, was preaching about compassion and he, he said that the word compassion actually means to suffer with which I was interesting to me that it, kind of separating it from empathy but it was actually you know at least the way he defined it was the word compassion meaning to suffer with what does it mean to you to have compassion. Tomorrow I'm gonna to bury a 93 year old woman who had 13 kids. And, uh, you know, part of the thing was uh, when you have that many kids, I come from a family of eight. The, the, the question that gets asked is, you know, secretly, do you have favorites or a favorite? And, and she said, yeah, I do. Of course I do. And, and you're kind of startled by it. And then she says in Spanish, el que sufre más, the one who suffers the most, that's my favorite. And one day it's the, it's the oldest one, and one day it's number four, and one day it's number 13. But that's sort of how God is. That's what the preferential option is. That's what the covenant about widow, orphan, stranger. It's, it's about el que sufre más. It's about the one who is suffering the most. And, and that's why you go there. It doesn't, it doesn't dismiss other people, but it says that's where we need to go. That's why we go to the margins. And in the covenant, the original covenant that talked about the widow, orphan, and the stranger, it meant society. These were the people who society told you do not matter to us and and what happens to you is of no concern and you do not count and this is why you go to them because uh it's the fundamental message and so we all share in kind of god's own view which is to go to the person que sufre más and and that changes us uh, to do that but it's it's still part of the duty to delight you know as Dorothy Day 
would talk about it, you know, that it's still about being engaged in relational wholeness to the other. And you want, you want to be there. And it's in good times and in bad, in sickness and in health, you know, but it's, it's, a, it's solidarity and it's accompaniment. And, and you don't go to the margins to reach people, but you go there so that you'll be reached. And you don't go to the margins to make a difference, like every commencement address always says. You go to the margins so that the folks at the margins make you different. Uh, that's beautiful. I, I, I have this thought that I always share that we have a brain injured daughter. Uh, she's 18 now. She had a massive stroke in the womb and she wasn't supposed to live. And, and she has, and she's changed our life. And I've watched my wife lay down her life for 24 hours a day for 18 years. And it's what it's taught me is that I don't think we're ever more alive than when we're giving our lives away. And that is what you're saying resonates with me that when we go to the least or quote unquote or the margins, it does something to us. It's, it's an amazing way that God can work that something that, you know, in our case, you know, it's a life changing, horrific circumstance that you never would ask for and then yet here we are on the other side 18 years later and we wouldn't trade it for a whole brain nipper would we trade it change your life she changed your life. that little girl who's the happiest person i know never keeps record of wrong not worried about tomorrow not mad about yesterday always happy to see you not a respecter of persons, loves the President of the United States or the waiter exactly the same. I mean, it's, it's really remarkable what can happen to us, isn't it? Sure. I think that's where the joy is because it's part of it is, you know, you move to be other-centered. And, and yeah, it's about service, but service is where you begin. It's not where you end. And then it's about loving being loving. And this is what your daughter extracts from you and and so people will say and i'm sure they've said this to you it must be hard <laughs> right. And, right. and yet the best kept secret is it's where the joy is <laughs> and, is so and what what folks don't know is that you have what the world wants longs for isn't that spectacular what a, we could end right there, but I have a couple other things. That's a spectacular thought. Yeah, that is, I believe it, and you, and you believe it. And and she's brought, what's her name? Ella Claire. Ella Claire. She's Ella brought Claire. you to that. Yeah. It's a yeah. great, a great a, an incredible gift. Yeah, what a gift. Yeah, what a gift. Lastly, I, 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 I wonder, uh, we, we focus on youth a fair amount in some of the work we do, and we're, we're always interested in young people. And, um, and in this current environment where, you know, there's obviously a pandemic going on, and which is you know, affecting people, the economy, jobs, and then we have a fair, you know, fair amount of, of unrest and anger and there's feelings and there's some level of division and then you throw in that we're in election year we got kind of a 
lot going on. What would you say to a young people? I mean, I, I think about hope. And I think, you know, Dallas Willard talks about hope as the expectation of the good. Uh, and, and, and I think in this environment, to have an expectation of the good is maybe a little trickier than other times. I mean, I know every generation has their challenges, but, but how, what would you say, or if you were sitting down with a young person today and they were talking about their life and their future and they were feeling hopeless or they were feeling lost or discouraged, what would, what would be any counsel that you might give? Yeah, I, I don't give advice. I don't give counsel. I, you know, at Homeboy, we say hope has an address. And, and that's not for nothing that we say that because it's not about a message. And it's not even about a messenger. It's about the context of a, the beloved community, really. It's, it's about the context of a community of tenderness where people feel cherished. It kind of goes back to that Maya Angelou notion that says people won't always remember what you say to them, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. And that's the key thing. So in my situation, if, if you know, it's likely that, that a traumatized person will cause more trauma, it, like everybody who walks through our doors, it's also true that a cherished person will be able to find their way to the joy there is in cherishing themselves and others. That's where the joy is. And so, so it's not about advice. It's not about words. I go out of my way uh, not to do that because I think it's about creating a culture and a community. And do, how do people feel when they walk out the door? And, and it's more like that. You know, I, I have, uh, you know, 35 years of working with gang members and they'll come back to me after long prison terms and they'll say things to me like this always. I'll never forget what you said to me. And then they'll proceed to say something that I know I never said to anybody because half the time I kind of don't believe it or it's theology that's really <laughs> not, not, anyway, they invent that stuff. But what they're really trying to say is, I felt this way, yeah. which is fine. They can put whatever words they want in my mouth. And so, but it's, it's more about the context, not the content. And we're, we're kind of, we've forgotten how to listen. We lecture more than listen. And, and so how do we receive young people? How do we allow them to alter our hearts? That's what we want. And, and, uh, and, and to become less reliant on, I have a message that needs to get delivered. Last question, just relating to your, your thoughts on incarceration. Uh, you know, I, I know that there's been, the, and, I, and I've, I've gotten to know Susan Burton a little bit down there in Los Angeles, who's done some amazing work related to uh, trying to you know, help people understand that incarceration is not the answer. But what are your, would you have any thoughts to share on on how uh, you see incarceration? Yeah, I mean, again, I'm I'm a big proponent of everything's about something else. So if you were to talk about 
excessive use of force by police, that's really about we've forgotten that we belong to each other. The minute we remember it, nobody's going to put a knee to anybody's neck. And by the same token, you know, the fact that our prisons are filled with poor people of color just means that we've forgotten that we belong to each other. And, and so you imagine a circle of compassion, you imagine nobody standing outside that circle. So you really do seek to dismantle the barriers that exclude. And in, you know LA, you know that the largest mental institution in the world is LA County Jail, which tells a person that we've forgotten that we belong to each other. So we've decided to punish wound rather than heal it. And, and so it's hard to imagine a way to redeem prisons because they're born of a, of a lie, which is we don't belong to each other. There's some people who don't belong to us and that's just untruth. All demonizing is untruth and all demonizing is the opposite of how God sees. But one day we'll see that we all live in the same house. Yeah. Has there been a, just, we have a couple minutes left, but has there been a, uh, and I'm not asking you for a formula or a has there been a person, uh, a mentor, a friend, who's been really significant in your life? Yeah, you know, if people don't believe this. And, you know, I mean, I have, you know, there are people I admire, there are people I read. You know, Merton is one, and John Lewis is another, and Cesar Chavez, and, and Pema Chodron, people I read and listen to. But, but the truth is, my heart has been altered by the thousands of gang members I've come to know, and the day won't ever come when I have more courage, or I am more noble, or I'm closer to God than these men and women. And so that's kind of more the truth. Wow. That's beautiful. Well, Father Boyle, it's really been an honor to spend some time with you, and I uh, appreciate your thoughts. This is wonderful, and we, we're rooting for Homeboy, and, and I think it's powerful what's happened here. So thank you for spending some time with us. Well, blessings to you and to Ellen Clare. <laughs> thank you, sir. Okay. We'll see you next time. Thank you.